Look to this day, for it is life, the very life of life. In its brief course lie all the verities and realities of your existence, the bliss of growth, the glory of action, the splendor of beauty. For yesterday is but a dream, and tomorrow is only a vision. But today, well lived, makes every yesterday a dream of happiness, and every tomorrow a vision of hope. Look well, therefore, to this day. Words attributed to the fourth century Sanskrit poet Kalidasa. Good morning. I'm Angela Herrera. I'm the senior minister here at First Unitarian Church. And I'm here this morning with lay leader Kristen Satterley, DJ Chris Paul, backup DJ Jordan Jones, and DJ in training Eric Renz Whitmore. Hey, let's hear it for our DJs and DJ in training because we have been needing more DJs. We're so, so glad you all are here. Thank you, Eric, for training today. Alex and Erica are our Zoom ushers. Our direct, director of religious education, Mia Norin, is leading our Time for All Ages this morning. <clears throat> and Tom Godfrey is our guest musician. <clears throat> Excuse me. It takes a village, for sure, to lead a Zoom worship service. But we're all thrilled to be here with you this morning. So glad that you are here. And if you are a visitor, especially first or second time visitor, and you feel comfortable, we invite you to put your name and location in the chat so that we can greet you personally. Good morning. At First Unitarian, we consider life's big questions. And here's a chance to ask the ministers yours. Next Sunday, Bob and Angela will do their annual question box sermon in which they'll answer your questions from the pulpit. You can send a question in by placing it in the chat. Just be sure to start your message with dear ministers so they can find it in the chat later. Or send it to specials at uuabq.org, which will be in the chat as well, so you can find it. Also, the Social Justice Council's annual auction and dinner is coming up on Saturday, August 27th at 5 p.m. The success of the auction, of course, depends on what we, the congregation, donate to be auctioned off. Do you have something to contribute from your stock of stuff at home? Furniture, a painting or other work of art, special crockery, craft items, kitchenware, small appliances, fine linens, jewelry, children's toys, yard equipment, you name it, Perhaps you have a skill or service you can offer, or would you like the chance to break bread with fellow congregants by hosting a dinner at your home? Auction donation forms can be downloaded from the church website. To access them and find out more about how you can help with the social justice work that's going on in our faith community, go to the social justice auction page that's linked in the chat box. Tickets to the auction and dinner are $10, which includes dinner, dessert, live entertainment, and childcare. You can buy them in advance from the church website on the church giving page under the social justice auction button. And that link is also posted in the chat box. Please join us in lighting a chalice or candle if you have one set up at home. We gather this morning a community of thanks, of hope, of petition, of creation, of renewal. May the light of this flame remind us of lights in the sky, of the growl of thunder, of long-awaited monsoons soaking the thirsty ground again and again and painting the sky with rainbows. May it bring us hope where once we saw despair, 
May it feed rivers in the dry places of our hearts. There's a guitar here in the window I'd like to play before it's sold. Such a classic mint condition, great shape for one this old. Now all these axes have their stories of the gigs that they have seen. But when this one sold the first time I was 17. Course back then I didn't want it, it was way too new for me. I needed something old and righteous with its own authority. So the first guitar I ever bought was twice as old as me Cause its life was full of music as I dreamed that mine might be And I played that thing a thousand nights then traded it away For something slightly newer that was easier to play Ah, but lately I buy new guitars, they're shiny as a hearse I still like the look of roadware, but the roles have been reversed. And now this thing is a classic, but I still don't need to buy. Yeah, the old ones have their stories, but by now, so do I. We are Unitarian Universalists. We are people of faith with open minds, loving hearts, and helping hands. Good morning. I'm Mia Norin, the Director of Religious Education. And today I wanna to share with you a story that comes from Burma. Now, this orange country here is Burma. It's uh, currently known as Myanmar. And if you're not quite sure where that is located, you can see some countries you might be familiar with here, like India and China. Okay. But this story is very old and originated when the country was known as Burma. So there are 1,062 and counting different kinds of birds that make their homes in the jungles, wetlands, and along the coast of Burma. They even have a day to celebrate birds. And once upon a, and once upon a time, those 1,062 and counting different kinds of birds did not get along. They were always making a terrible ruckus. Why do you flap your wings so fast? Your feathers are too red. With that technique, you'll never be able to catch a worm. Often, the birds got so carried away, they said, I'm a better bird than you. And the reply was always, no, I'm a better bird than you. Mia, we've lost your audio. Possibly your cord came disconnected. No, we're not hearing you. Again? There you go. We heard, uh, I'm a better bird than you. Oh, I'm a better bird than you. And the reply was always, no, I'm a better bird than you. There was no friendship amongst the birds and not much fun either. Finally, pheasant 
grew weary. He didn't want to quarrel. So when Crow came along, ready to pick an argument, Pheasant said, Crow, you're a better bird than me. Crow was surprised. Those words warmed his heart. And he replied politely, no, Pheasant, you're a better bird than me. Pheasant's heart felt warm. The two struck up a conversation. They got to know one another and found they got along very well. And before long, they decided to live side by side. The two birds enjoyed one another very much. Now their conversations were completely different than they had been in the days of argument. One day, Pheasant stood stock still. Crow noticed and said, that was a good way to be, avoid being seen by enemies. Another time, Crow was building a nest and Pheasant said, those sticks will make a good strong nest. Have you thought about a way to make it a little softer inside? Crow looked at the nest and then at his chest. He began to add some downy feathers. Talking and getting along like that made it easy to learn from one another and be together. The two friends' affection for one another was obvious. The other birds were surprised. How could Pheasant and Crow spend so much time together without quarreling? Some decided to test the friendship. Pheasant, why do you spend so much time with that good-for-nothing crow? You mustn't say that, replied Pheasant. Crow is a better bird than I, and he honors me by living with me. The next day, they went to Crow. Crow, why do you spend so much time with that good-for-nothing pheasant? You mustn't say that, replied Crow. Pheasant is a better bird than I, and he honors me by living with me. The birds were deeply impressed by Crow and Pheasant's attitude to one another. They began to wonder, why do we always fight and quarrel? They watched how Crow and Pheasant treated one another and soon learned it wasn't so difficult to be kind. They also learned that when they practiced compassion in the manner of Crow and Pheasant, life was far more enjoyable. And that is how friendship and respect developed among the birds. Thank you for that, Mia. Let's go ahead and pause the chat for a few moments now during the meditation. And I invite everybody to settle, smooth your feathers down. Take a breath. I have a guided meditation for you this morning, one that we've done a couple of times over the years. And if you still remember it, that's okay because it's kind of new every time. So just flow along and see what you discover. This guided meditation begins by imagining that you are in a favorite place. It could be a room, a building, a path or a trail. 
It could be near a river or a mountain, in a city, another country. You are in one of your favorite places. In your mind, let yourself see that place's colors, recall how it smells, how it sounds, what it feels like on your skin or under your feet or your seat to be there. You're there, surrounded by that place. And you see someone coming. You see them a little ways off in the distance, coming toward you, a person with a friendly energy. They're not hurrying. The person gets closer and you begin to perceive their movement and a few of their features. They are familiar. And now you realize the person is you. It's you one year from now. You may look very similar to today. You may look different. You may not be able to see this future self entirely clearly, but as in a dream, you know who it is. It is you. You're surprised and curious. Your future self smiles at you. Your future self is carrying something, a box tied with a string. They reach you at last, hand the box to you, give you a warm embrace and turn and leave. You watch amazed as you disappear in the distance. You look down and remember the box. You untie the string, you open it. What's in it? We continue in silence as you contemplate the answer, the first thing you perceived in your mind when you lifted the lid.
Each of our lives is braided through with strands of joy and worry, threads of gratitude and sorrow. Here in this shared space, we are knit together into a beloved community, lifted by one another's gladness and helping to lighten each other's burdens. When the music begins, share your joys and then your concerns in the chat bar for us to hold together. If you cannot share today, we still want to hear from you. Please contact us at caring at uuabq.org. Now let us share what is on our hearts. De un show está vivido Con esfuerzo que va quemando el amor Ardiente como el fuego Amor de madre, amor de hijos Siguiendo fieles el ejemplo de Cristo Hay tanto que dar y tan poco que pedir Madre Santa del Cielo, hoy cantamos para ti, unidos en la alianza de amor. Vamos construyendo sueños, juntos en la misión, tú y yo por ellos. Toma mi vida, piensa mi voluntad. Siempre amar la verdad y así lograr la santidad. sin miedo y descubre tu misión y yo sembraré en la tierra fértil llenar el huerto de tu corazón madre santa del cielo hoy cantamos para ti unidos en lazos de fe
all these we lift up and we add Pat Frieder, who is recovering from surgery today. Sarah Friedrich, whose sister Sandy has died. And Ed Walhagen, who died this week. Ed was a longtime member here, and he was also the longtime caretaker of all of the trees on our Albuquerque campus. He organized a regular Bosque cleanup crew. He made such a nice difference here and in the Bosque. He will be missed, and his memorial service is being planned date to be announced. Sometimes when we pray, we bow our heads, not in subservience, but because it is we and not just our neighbor in need of prayer. We bow our heads and search for the silence within or that we might listen and be comforted. We are weak and we need strength. We are frightened and need courage. We are humble and thankful. And so we bow our heads. Sometimes we pray with our chins lifted, faces exposed to the heavens, receptive, accepting, life flowing over and through us. We are anxious and need patience. We are searching and need direction. We are grateful and radiant. And so we lift our faces. And sometimes prayer pours forth in words from our lips. O oh God, O oh life, O oh mystery, receive this prayer. For all who will be born into this dangerous and beautiful world today, and for all who will die, for all who are living right now, love pour down on them. May they be safe and may we, may they be at peace and may we, may they be a blessing upon the world and may we, everyone. Amen. Peace be with you. I'm the Ran away with the circus Now I am watering elephants But I sometimes Lie awake in the sawdust Dreaming that I suit of light late at night in the empty big top I'm all alone on the high wire ladies and gentlemen there is no net this time he's the real death defier I'm the kid who Always looked out the window Failing the test in geography But I have seen things 
far beyond just this schoolyard, distant shores of exotic lands. There's the spires of the Turkish Empire, six months since we made landfall, riding low with the spices of India to Gibraltar, where rich men I'm the kid who thought we'd someday be lovers. I always held out the time would tell time was talking guess I just wasn't listening no surprise if you know As we're walking down toward the train station, I hear a whispering rainfall. Across the boulevard, you slip your hand in mine. In the distance, the train's last call. I'm the kid who has this habit of dreaming. It sometimes gets me in trouble too. But the truth is I could no more stop dreaming then I, I could make them all come true. So grateful for Tom Godfrey's sweet music today and such nice quality videos. Last Sunday's in-person service was a boisterous one in the Albuquerque Sanctuary. We had the Root Summer Leadership Academy kids there, maybe about 20 kids up uh, singing on the platform, singing, I believe in me, I believe in you, I believe in we, our whole community. Just big, big energy. And Jane Davis preached, which means I got to sit in the front row during the sermon. Now, people don't usually sit in the front row. What, what's with that? Like, is it us? Because <laughs> I don't think people realize what they're missing when they sit way in the back. Up front, you can see and hear everything. If the choir is singing, it is like being bathed in harmonies. By the way, being on Zoom is a little bit like being in the front row. I know many of you have shared that observation with us over the last couple of years since we started Zoom services. One person, upon seeing me up close for the first time, exclaimed, you have a nose ring? <laughs> so apparently there's some things that are just more visible close up. 
Well, last week I got to be up front and because I was right there in the front, I got to sit next to the cutest little baby. I think maybe she was there to see a member of her family singing with the Roots program. And the front is also a great spot for babies and kids because as I said, it is much more interesting to watch up front. This little one was probably about 20 months old or so, somewhere between one and a half and two. Just a wee person with a little heart print outfit on. I don't have very many little ones in my personal life right now. So I was delighted to get to hang out with her. And she was fascinated by my vestments. She pointed to them and I pointed back. She touched it and I turned my stole over so she could investigate what it looked like on the other side. We took turns doodling on the order of service. She'd make a squiggle and then I'd make one, handing the pen back and forth. So sweet. At that age, a human is learning so much, so fast. The developmental psychologist Jean Piaget described the first two years of life as the sensory motor period, the time when we're learning to use symbols like speech, which if you think about it, a word is a symbol of something that our minds kind of decode. We're learning to use symbols, we're learning to understand objects and to explore the environment. And we do a very thorough job of this exploring, all that bright baby curiosity. If you wanna know just how thorough a job we do in the sensory motor period, just take a moment to look around the room where you're sitting, look at all the different objects in the room, chairs, carpet or rug, walls, paper, books, anything that's in the room around you, okay? And now consider this, I'll bet you know how every single one of them tastes. I'm not wrong, am I? You probably already know the texture, temperature, scent, and flavor of everything in the room without even touching it. Because you investigated the world so very well when you were in the sensory motor phase, including by putting a whole bunch of it right in your mouth. You have even more experience than you remember in this world. Another thing we learn as babies, which we may not specifically remember, is what kind of place this world is. Is it safe? Is it reliable? When our caregivers meet our needs and when we have experiences of safe people early in life, it helps us to meet the challenges and danger that life will inevitably bring. It helps us to meet those things with more faith and less anxiety. Now that does not mean we don't have any negative experiences when we were little. When I was a new mom, one time I remember very clearly the day I accidentally whacked my baby daughter's head on a store shelf as I walked by it. Ugh. On another occasion, my son fell out of a shopping cart and I just couldn't catch him in time. And I felt terrible when these things happened. Still kind of feel terrible about it, but it's okay. It's human and actually having a childhood that is pretty reliably good, but not 100% perfect is useful for our development. We need a balance of trust and mistrust in order to thrive as we go through life. The theorist Eric Erickson described this as developing hope, which he defined as an openness to new experience tempered by wariness that discomfort or danger may arise. It's a balance of openness and wariness. 
we're able to meet whatever happens. If we don't have a reliably safe childhood, and many people don't, we can still develop that kind of hope of which Erickson speaks, but it will probably take some additional work like in therapy or spiritual practice to tend those places in us that were neglected or hurt and to discover where we can place our faith, what is trustworthy. In grade school, we learn to navigate the social world, to play with others, to regulate our emotions. Your particular kind of intelligence or intelligences, I should say, begins to show in elementary school are you more inclined to words, math, or spatial intelligence? How about music or kinesthetic or body intelligence like dancers and craftspeople and athletes have? There is interpersonal, reading others, intelligence and intrapersonal intelligence that is understanding oneself and emotional intelligence. Naturalistic is understanding the natural world and existential intelligence is considering ultimate issues like the purpose of life and the nature of death. If you had a hard time in school as a kid, it might be that your environment did not attend to your particular kinds of intelligence very well. And I hope that you found or find your particular way to shine. Maybe there was a place outside of school where you felt seen and valued and you got to shine. Maybe now you would be interested in helping to make that happen for somebody else. Did you know that we're looking for volunteers in our children's programming here at the church? And we're about to actually make it easier to volunteer. Starting on September 11th, our main children's programming is gonna happen in between the church services at 10 instead of concurrent with the church services, which means you could become a special person in a child's life without having to miss the services that you really look forward to attending. And no special knowledge is required for this. And because some kids are really energetic and others are more serious, I was a very serious kid. We need all kinds of adults as well. So if you are interested, just write your name or contact info in the chat box. Uh, or hand it to me or any staff member after the service, or you email it to us, for example, and we'll put you in touch. Mia Norin, who you just saw do the Time for All Ages, is the director of our children's program. So we'll, we'll help you get in touch with her however you reach out. In our teen years, the work of identity development intensifies as we begin to differentiate ourselves from others, especially from our parents or guardians, right? And we begin to explore possible paths into adulthood. What kind of person are we? What is our identity? It's a time of trying different ones on, a time of experimentation. We learn a lot about ourselves in those adolescent years. And if we're paying attention, we also continue with self-discovery and growth all throughout our lives. There are some things about us that are considered kind of hardwired. When I counsel couples before they get married, I ask them to do an assessment called the prepare and rich inventory. And it's a snapshot of some of the things that might be deeply ingrained or hardwired, like being extroverted or introverted, for example. But humans also have a trait called plasticity, which means that we're able to learn and behave in new ways all throughout our lives up to a certain point. So there's this thread throughout our whole lives of figuring out who we are and how to be. 
Have you ever thought about when was the first time you realized you were a self separate from other people and objects around you? When we're born, we actually don't know this. We don't know that we're a separate self. It's hard to tell exactly when self-awareness occurs, but there's a really cute experiment that researchers came up with to investigate this question. What they do is they have moms place a red mark on their baby's nose, and they do it in kind of a sneaky way, like while they're wiping the baby's face, for example. And then the babies are placed in front of a mirror. Many one-year-olds will just reach out and touch the mirror. They show that they see the mark. But by about 15 months of age, a shift occurs when upon seeing the reflection, the babies reach up and touch their own noses, showing that they understand that they themselves are the person in the mirror. By age two, almost all toddlers do this and they use the words me and mine. They are a self, they've figured it out. And pretty soon young children recognize the continuity of their selves over time too. They know that they're the same person celebrating a birthday this year as the one who celebrated the birthday last year. They have a sense of continuity of self. And with each birthday, which each year, with each year, the work of figuring out our own identities continues. By midlife, which is more or less in our forties and fifties, humans tend to have developed quite a complex understanding of ourselves our emotions and our motivations, that together with an awareness of our mortality drawing closer can lead to what is popularly known as a midlife crisis. Researchers actually call it a midlife correction, which I think is a very respectable name. It's when we take stock and we might make changes to our, bring our lives into alignment with who we are and what we value. Let me just say that as a 45 year old person who's been through a lot of loss and change this year, but has also dyed her hair purple and hey, gotten a two foot long snake tattoo, which you can see because you're up front here on Zoom and started riding on a motorcycle. Let me just say that whatever you call it, the fun liberated part of midlife has been like really underrated. Okay, 10 out of 10 would recommend the fun liberated part of midlife. Snakes, by the way, are a symbol of the divine feminine and of transformation. So we become more ourselves all through life, starting from the beginning. Some parts of us seem to be essential and they don't change a whole lot. Other parts are subject to experimentation and play and liberation. And then there's a way that life can hand us a set of circumstances that cause us to make a big change. I just finished taking a six week long queer Talmud class that was held over Zoom. It was offered by a Jewish learning community called Savara in Chicago. The Talmud is the sacred book of Jewish law. It contains teachings that are not specified in the Hebrew Bible, but have been handed down from one generation to the next. Rabbi Benet Lape, who founded Savara, opened the class with a spirited lecture that really stayed with me. And I think it's also relevant here. She called it crash theory. She says, every religion tells a master story. Why are we here? What's our purpose? How should I live my life? Every religion comes into being to answer these questions. 
these questions that form a master story, they lead to a master story. And you've heard me talk about this a little bit too. I call them the first questions. What is this? Why are we here? What does it mean? Rabbi Benet says, a good master story can last a long time, even hundreds and hundreds of years. But eventually, it's going to crash. Why? Well, something could happen that makes your story no longer workable, a crisis of some kind, or something inside you shifts and the old answers don't seem true anymore. When a story crashes, there are three options. Option one is to pretend that the crash never happened. You go back to the story with your head basically in the sand, you build a wall around it to make sure no more scary information gets in again. Option one, that never happened, same old story. Option two is to decide that the story is now worthless and just throw it out, baby with the bathwater, as they say, it's garbage now and you just jump all the way into a new story but remember, all stories eventually crash. So that one won't be crash proof either. And option three, she says, is to go back to the story and update it based on what you now know. Now, as I said, this class was specifically about Judaism and it was about whether the Talmud can be interpreted in new ways and by whom, who has the authority according to the tradition to reinterpret the Talmud. Rabbi Benet says that reinterpreting Judaism through a queer lens is one of the ways of cherishing a master story, Judaism, while updating it based on what is now known. When I heard Rabbi Benet's lecture, I learned a lot. She talked about more than this over the course of an hour. And I noticed two things. One is that, of course, crash theory applies to other religions too. The tradition that became Unitarian Universalism used to be very Christian. In fact, the Puritans are our direct ancestors of this faith. And when our forebears came to understand the Bible as a set of historical texts written down by people and not the literal true word of God, that realization caused a crash in the faith. And the tradition that we have today evolved from that because some people chose option three. They believed that there was still value in the story of creation and in Jesus and all of the stories and the tradition that had become Protestantism, but they updated it based on what they had learned. That other stories may also be valuable along with science and new ways of knowing. And that's how we came to be a creedless church and such a big tent kind of a faith. The other thing I noticed is that crash theory can apply to our personal master story too. The story of who we are, of that identity that we work so long to develop, especially as that identity gets woven together with things that are external to ourselves. When we face the loss of a core relationship or of a career, or if we fail at something that we thought was essential to us, to who we are, we can refuse to move on, that's option one. We can write off the past as a lie or ourselves as a victim, that's option two. Or we can do some learning, some discovery, and we can deepen our understanding of who we are based on what we know now. 
can we trust life again when that happens? Going back to that concept from a few minutes ago, I think the answer depends quite a bit on whether we've learned to balance trust and mistrust, right? Remember how Eric Erickson defined hope, that particular kind of hope as an openness to new experience tempered by wariness that discomfort and danger may arise, right? Openness and wariness. We know we can't place our trust in things staying the same all the time. We know that. But we can trust that there is goodness and love, that we can actively work on our stories, that we can work to meet our needs and we can work to help meet the needs of others. We can say with the roots kids, I believe in me, I believe in you, I believe in we, our whole community. Wherever you are today in your life's unfolding, may you know hope. And if you could use a little more of that and a little more of that we, I hope that you'll consider reaching out to First Unitarian's care team at caring at uuabq.org. And may we each be a blessing to each other's lives and stories through our manner of being in the world. May it be so. Family Promise of Albuquerque, our Change for the Future recipient for June through August, empowers families in Albuquerque and Rio Rancho who are at risk of homelessness or currently experiencing homelessness. Their clients are supported as they achieve sustainable independence through a community-based response. Volunteers from First Unitarian have supported Family Promise for years. You can make an offering online by clicking on the link that we'll put in the chat box. And if you prefer not to give online, you can simply mail a check to the church and include change for the future on the memo line. And let us now exercise the enduring power of generosity. Let it be a dance we do. May I have this dance with you through the good times and the bad times too. Let it be a dance Let a dancing song be heard Play the music, say the words And fill the sky with sailing birds Let it be a dance Let it be a dance Let it be a dance Learn to follow, learn to lead Feel the rhythm, feel the need to reap the harvest, plant the seed. Let it be a dance. Let it be a dance we do. May I have this dance with you through the good times and the bad times too. Let it be a dance. Everybody turn and spin. Let your body learn to bend. And like a willow with the wind Let it be a dance Let it be a dance Let it be a dance A child is born, the old must die A time for joy, a time to cry 
take it as it passes by. Let it be a dance. Let it be a dance we do. May I have this dance with you through the good times and the bad times too. Let it be a dance. What is generously given is received with gratitude. Thank you, friends, on behalf of the congregation and on behalf of our Change for the Future recipients. We are coming soon to the end of the formal time of this service. As always, if you want to stay on uh, and, and join in a small group chat, you can do that. Just stay on through the postlude and we'll create some breakout rooms for a half an hour after the service. Before we part ways, I wanna invite you into the Pacham greeting that we do. So to do that, you can put your, your screen in gallery view if possible. And if you feel comfortable turning on your camera, if it's been off, this is a great time for that. And let us just look at each other's faces. Hello friends. And place one hand over your heart, either hand, and extend the other one toward your fellow UUs and visitors today. Peace. Pacham means peace. Peace to all of you. You can put your screen back into speaker view if you wish. As you go out today, if you'd like a discussion question for those small groups or your other conversations, how about this one? In today's meditation, was a guided meditation where you received a box from your future self. What was in it? And what do you make of that? And now let us extinguish our chalices and candles. And as we do, go in peace friends and may love bless you and keep you until we're gathered again. Blessed be.